Hi, I'm Dora from Dora Nicolau and my drink of choice is a chai. I'm Gemma from Contently Driven and my drink of choice is red wine. And I'm Michaela from Inspired Office and my drink of choice is a sparkling white wine. Work-life wine time supports the responsible consumption of alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Welcome to this week's episode of Work-Life Wine Time. It's Gemma here with you today. And we have a very special guest, and I'm so excited to connect you with Gail Eaton Briggs, who's an author and the founder of Everywhere Solutions. So, hi, Gail. Thank you for being here. How are you? Hi, Gemma. I'm great. Thank you. Thank you. And and it is really, really terrific to be here. Fabulous. So, First of all, let's get right into it, I guess. And can you introduce yourself to our wonderful audience? Tell us all about you. Yes. So uh, as you said, I do run my own practice. It is called Every Win Solutions. And um, but it's really funny that you said everywhere, because when I say everywhere, most people look at me really quizzically and just, you know, say, what on earth is that anyway? Uh, So I'm always spelling it. And um, I decided that I would go with that name. It's a little it's an old 17th century term, actually, that is an unusual way to say always or all the time. And that's exactly how I like to work with my clients. And so it works uh, really well for me from a um, branding perspective. And of course, you know, uh, I am very solution focused. So solutions had to be part of the um, branding as well. You know, it's really funny. It's actually, I had written every when solutions, but when I saw it, I'm like, oh, I'm, that must be a typo. So I actually uh, pronounced it. Yeah. So the moral of that story is just read what you see, right? Absolutely. Go with what's in front of you. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, and not the first time that, you know, an email has gone astray and I've had to go, no, it's every when ends with an E-N. Yeah. Love it. That's fantastic. Um, Well, tell us a bit about your past work life and how you got to where you are now today. Mm. So all of my work in the past has really been focused on people development in some way. I had a really, really messy and slow start to my career. And that's a kind of a whole other podcast in itself. I do cover the delay and the messiness in the first two chapters of my book, Conscious Grit from Stuck to Unstoppable. But I did find my feet in terms of my career in my early 30s. And I started my career in children's services as a childcare worker working on the floor. And that is just such a fabulous grounding for anybody, I think, in terms of learning how to take responsibility, be accountable and develop relationships with other people because you are looking after somebody else's most precious commodity and you just have to get it right. You know, you really have to develop a very strong relationship I did work on the floor in children's services for some time and then I moved into administration roles and then I had a moment where I realised I just had to get some qualifications and um, really start to forge a career and again lots more about that in in the book. Um, 
I eventually achieved a uh, Bachelor of Social Science in Human Services, and that's when I was working in leadership and management in children's services, so moving from being on the floor to leadership and management roles, um, being part of the executive in a local government, and then I had a career change to a certain extent um, and went to TAFE, which is the public training provider here in Tasmania. Uh, of course, all states have TAFE or some equivalent of it. And I went there just on a six-month contract, took a bit of a punt on myself um, and stayed there for 13 years um, doing some amazing work in vocational education and training, um, starting as a trainer, working again in a classroom face-to-face -face with people, but ending up in all of the executive leadership and management roles across the organisation. Um, I always say I did every role except for the chief financial officer. I was acting chief executive officer um, on several occasions. Um, and potentially next time on this earth, I might be a CFO because I've figured out now that's where all the power lies. They hold the purse strings. <laughs> Um, but during my time in TAFE, which was part of the state government and also local government and also the children's services sector, I was really fortunate in being able to be part of committees and develop networks. And um, at the end of, towards the end of my time in government, I utilised some of those networks to go back into the children's services sector um, and worked at a senior executive level in the children and youth services area. So that's uh, child protection and youth detention. So um, I, my, my philosophy all the way through my career journey has been that of a lifelong learner. I'm really, really uh, passionate about lifelong learning and have um, borne out in the fact that I went from having no qualifications uh, in my very late 20s to a Master's of Public Administration uh, that I achieved in my 50s. So, and, you know, along the journey, lots and lots of learning, both formal and non-formal. That's fabulous. It's, yeah, I love that. Of course, it's learning is lifelong, right? And it's never, oh, it has to be. ever yeah. too late to start any form of study, learning, qualification. Ever. No, that, that's exactly right. And yeah. I also love the 70-20-10 learning and development model that says that, you know, you do need your, your formal qualification and then, but it's probably only 10% of what you need when you're in the workforce. Then you need, you know, your networks and your connections and some mentoring. And then 70% of your ongoing learning actually happens on the job, you know, and when you're taking on challenges and new experiences and forging your path that way in the workplace, on the job, that breeds just such great training. Um, and you learn by your challenges, you know, having a go at getting something uh, right or not right and being able to learn from it and do things differently the next time. Absolutely. And tell, tell us as well, how did you come to then work for yourself and start your business? So in the about August 2019, I was at that time part of the um, Senior Executive Service here in the Tasmanian Government, working in that Children and Youth Services area. 
but I was really struggling with a clash uh, of values let's just say what I had realized for me personally that the further I got up um, the the tree if you like in terms of seniority I really lost the ability to make a difference on the ground I found that my efforts were being hamstrung significantly by really difficult um, work environments and a culture of wanting to work in silos. So I decided one afternoon that the effect on me was getting so profound that I just needed to make a change. And so I had a moment one afternoon and uh, realised that my leadership style was not suited to the environment that I was working in, that my desire to be a collaborator and a team player was not reciprocated by everybody that was there. And it really was getting in the way of me being able to achieve what was personally um, very, very rewarding for me. And so I uh, said, I'm done. And that just happened on a whim, literally on a whim, and then needed to have a really interesting conversation with my husband um, to say, guess what I've just done, which was to throw in my executive contract 18 months before it was due, uh, gave back the car keys to the car, etc. And it was uh, it was a moment that possibly when, uh, you know, we replay it in our minds and we often talk about it and have a bit of a laugh about it. It now it was it was a comedy skit of the you know kind of almost the worst kind but almost the best kind as well and so I knew though that I I needed to be able to achieve good work on the ground and the best way for me to do that with my experience my background my networks was to establish my own practice and so that's what I did and it was a pretty immediate thing for me it was you know Finishing up uh, in the August and by September, you know, my my business name was registered. I had my website up and running and I was ready to roll because that's that's what I do. I uh, don't like to let the grass grow under my feet, as my mum would have said. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Like speak about really being tuned in and listening to yourself and what's what's going on and, and taking that action right away. It's yeah, very, yeah. very commendable. That's awesome. Good on you. Thank you. I think, uh, you know, it is something, though, that's come with maturity and that is that ability to do that 20 years mm. ago. I couldn't have done it. And I'm hoping now that through the work that I'm doing, I can actually inspire other people to, you know, take some chances um, yeah. because they can work out. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And just before we get into it, tell us just a little bit about um, what what can we find Gail doing when she's not learning and she's not working and in her business? <laughs> mm. Well, <laughs> that 
is actually really quite challenging for me to nail because I love my work. And so work is some work for me. Yeah. And um, even, you know, I became a registered celebrant back in 2005. So as well as having really challenging and busy day jobs that, you know, Monday to Friday, I was also being a celebrant, mainly wedding celebrant on the weekends. And people would say to me, but Kale, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to work? And I go, well, it's not work. It's just I love talking to people and being able to help them realise their dreams. So, you know, and so I still do some wedding work. Um, but in, I'm going to try and answer your question by saying I am really family oriented. So if I can spend a bit of time with my granddaughter, uh, with my grown up kids, um, you know, just pottering around my house, I have a bit of a run on craft type things. I don't mind getting out the paintbrush and uh, trying to uh, paint and, uh, you know, whether it be oh, crocheting or knitting or whatever it is that I have a bit of a fancy for at the time, uh, that's the kind of thing. You won't find me in a gym. Uh, I have had that <laughs> experience in the past and you know what, it just doesn't excite me. So, um, you know, laying around, reading a book, pottering around in the garden, you know, that's my thing. Lovely. Oh, I love it. <laughs> you won't find me in a gym. That's great. <laughs> it's not for everyone, right? No, it really, I'm. It really isn't. It yeah, just I totally get it. I, I have tried a few times, and it's it's you know no reflection on any personal trainer or any gym that I've been with. It's just not my thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely mm. for sure. Totally, totally understand. But anyway, back to what we're here today to discuss. Of course, we're going to speak all about how to go from stark. To unstoppable in your business what an exciting mm. topic and yeah first things first can you tell us about conscious grit mm. so conscious grit is um a number of things it's the a term in itself it's a model and it's it is a the the title of an equation that has three components to it and conscious grit came to me as a model when I was beginning to write my book, Conscious Grit from Stuck to Unstoppable. And I was trying to find a container, if you like, a way of describing some experiences that I had had in my life that I had been deeply reflecting on because I have a lot of people who look at me and say, Kale, you've just gone from nothing to, and look at you now. And now I'm not sure what they're saying when they're saying, look at you now, but I'm thinking it's a positive thing. So I'm going with that. Um, and, and so I really, I joined Thought Leaders Business School um, and that uh, is a business school in Victoria. And part of the methodology that they use is being able to capture your thinking in some kind of a, a diagram that allows you to explain whatever you're thinking about to people from a left brain perspective and a right brain perspective. And I came up with this model of conscious grit. And as I said earlier, it has three components to it. The first component 
is, um, and if you can imagine a, you know, something plus something equals conscious grit. So the first something is um, a state of being stuck. And in my model, when you are stuck, you're actually in a state of being in unconscious grit. And the characteristics of that, and I'm sure that most people will relate, where you are trying so hard to get to where you want to go, but you and you are determined and you are persistent and resilient and tenacious and you're using some courage but you just can't get there. That's what I call being in unconscious grit. Then the next bit after the plus sign is, is tipping point. And in my model of conscious grit, you need to find and catch a tipping point. And when you do that, you then flip into what I call the zone of conscious grit. So we have stuck plus a tipping point equals in the zone of unconscious grit, which equals being unstoppable. And that's very much the experience that I have had over and over again in my life. It hasn't been until recent times when I've very much done that very deep reflection that I have been able to describe it in a way, in a model, in a container that's hopefully useful for other people to understand. Yeah. And um, so you mentioned a few things there. So you mentioned about when you're in this I guess when you're within the unconscious grid and, and you feel as though you just can't get there, is that how you would identify if you're stuck? Like how does one identify if they're sort of, if they're stuck? Yes. So um, in the, in my book, Conscious Grid from Stuck to Unstoppable, I do have a, a table that helps individuals uh, identify if they or their business um, is stuck. And it it might, and I describe, um, I give a, a, a list, if you like, in terms of behaviours and metaphors and yeah. internal dialogue and um characteristics that you might be feeling and one of the and some of the metaphors are things like you know it feels like you're spinning your wheels or it feels like you're swimming in treacle or it feels like you know you're carrying water from one place to another but there's a hole in the bucket um, and there are a number of behaviors that go along with that as well so when you really sit and think about how you're behaving in that zone of unconscious grit and when you are stuck often it's because you're not sharing the load often it's because you're not prepared to seek advice from others often it's because you are too busy surviving to realise that all of this stuff that you're going through is actually really good learning and you can leverage from it and you can build on it and you can actually have success. So there's, a, you know, behaviours, characteristics, metaphors, and then that internal dialogue, and I know this one was very, very true for me, um, and again, I keep hinting around, around my situation and, and the big event 
that happened for me was when I was 22 years old and it was a, a, a an event that um, changed the direction of my life, my then husband's life and the lives of my children. And the book, uh, I, I, I put it out there, I had not talked about it publicly previous to writing the book, but I thought it was time because when I look back in hindsight, I learned so much from going through that awful time that I know has helped me develop my toolkit and I've used my tools over and over again in other phases of my life. But the internal dialogue that I was using at the time, which is what we do when we're stuck, is, you know, I can't do it. I won't do it. I'm scared to do it. It's my responsibility. It's my mess. I'll fix it by myself. And those kind of, you know, insular thoughts really form a barrier to being able to move forward and get unstuck. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I, I'm also interested tonight if, because from, from there, that's when we realise or we start to uncover or discover that, you know, we could be stuck and we're, having a lot of that internal dialogue, which is quite blocking, right? You know, the I can't and, yeah, it's my responsibility, all of those. And then you did mention your next step is to then catch a tipping point. So Mm. if would you share with us one of your tipping points that you were able to, to catch or one that we potentially could look out for? Yes, absolutely. So tipping points can be anything from something really minor that you just breeze past and think it's nothing to being something really significant. And, you know, in in my situation, uh, the tipping point for me was uh, after five years of being stuck, going to a doctor who knew what the situation was and finally being courageous enough to say what was what was on my mind what was concerning me and his response to me was gail it's time go get a lawyer that was my tipping point that comment by that doctor affirmed some stuff i hadn't wanted to really have affirmed and validated those niggles those feelings that i was having that things were just not okay and just not sustainable and so for me that was an incredibly uh, significant tipping point but there would there are other tipping points for other uh, other people so in terms of, um, you know, let's think about a young parent who is at home, they have got a toddler, they've got a new baby who's only four weeks old. One afternoon, they go and hop in the shower because, you know, the toddler's in bed, the baby is grizzling in the bassinet, but, you know, this person, let's call her, let's call her Marie, you know, she just, she's so tired, she's exhausted, she goes and gets in the shower, she's just, she's on the floor of the shower, she's crying, she just is exhausted. 
And she's trying to rationalise that with, oh, yes, but I've got a toddler and a new baby. It'll all be okay. They'll grow. You know, I'll get used to this. I can, I can manage. Then when she gets out of the shower, finally, the toddler has got out of bed and they've got into the pantry and they've emptied the cornflakes and, you know, they've found the eggs and they've just made a beautiful mess and they're having an awesome time. And Marie slaps the toddler. Okay, that's her tipping point. She just has reached the end of her tether. Now, if Marie takes notice of that tipping point, she will find a way to get some help. Now, maybe it's with the mother-baby unit. Maybe it's talking to a partner. Maybe it's using the babysitting services that have been offered to her by her friends and her family. And she's been saying, no, 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 I'm okay. I don't need to, you know, send the kids off to be babysat. I can cope with this. Um, but it's, so she, she can choose how she responds. Hopefully she'll respond by going, oh my gosh, that that is my sign. That is my tipping point. I am going to do things differently. I'm going to plan to do things differently. I'm going to set a goal and I'm going to move in a different direction. So there's, you know, an example. Yeah. In a business, however, yeah. there, there, you know, there would be loads of um, loads of examples, and certainly, you know, in the COVID environment, many, many people have had to change their business model because COVID was the tipping point for them. Um, but rather than sort of go down that rabbit hole, I thought I'm thinking that you know maybe I could use an example of having a couple of employees that are just not getting on, you know, so you've got your business, you've got uh, a couple of people that they just seem to be at each other all the time and you just can't get them to work as a team. But you know you need to do something, but you don't know what to do and you're a bit scared to do something because, you know, you might upset one or both of them, you know, one or both of them might, resign one or both of them might sort of blame you for not having a workplace that they're happy to work in there could be all sorts of um of things that are that you know you might be frightened of in terms of their response but then one monday morning you get a phone call at 7 a.m to say from you know from Rosie who's one of your staff members who says you know what I've been crying nearly all weekend I cannot come into work today in fact I'm not coming into work for the rest of the week that is your tipping point now for for that employer that is the tipping point that she needs to uh, listen to whatever Rosie is saying, whether Rosie is right or wrong, this is the tipping point for her to deal with whatever is going on in the workplace that she is responsible for. So um, I, I am a, I'm a really big fan of tipping points. I'm also a big fan of people being very observant and being able to go, oh, that is my tipping point and actually catch it because if you're not committed to catching it, then you can't use it to your benefit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, it that explanation leads quite perfectly into, into my next question about how can we apply con the conscious group method and the formula um, for our businesses? What can it do 
for our businesses. Mm. I know every business is different, of course, but, you know, generally speaking, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Every business is different. What is consistent for everybody that is running a business is that you are responsible for how you respond to any event. And this is where, you know, the model of conscious grit uh, comes in because you can choose. So here's another little equation that I, I like to use with my clients. E plus R equals O. E is event. R is response. O is outcome. So there'll be events that happen all day, every day. The outcome that happens as a result of that event will be determined by how you respond to it. So using that example of the employer and Rosie, you know, that employer can choose to grab that as a tipping point and bring Rosie in and bring in her fellow um, employee and get some mediation and really wrap some nurturing around them and get to the bottom of what on earth is going on and there will be a particular outcome. Or she could say, actually, Rosie, I don't care if you don't come to work anymore. Then she's got a different outcome to deal with in the workplace because she's immediately down a staff member and she's got a whole lot of clients that she's potentially not going to be able to serve until she gets her new staff member on board. So um, becoming back specifically to to your question, um, there are, when, when you are moving from unconscious grit to conscious grit, I like to think of it as you land on like a flower. And do you know how bees hover around a flower and yeah. then they get into the sweet spot in the middle and that's where yeah. they, you know, <laughs> get the honey? That's how I see the zone of conscious grit. So the aim is that you get into the zone and then your, your next aim is to get into the sweet spot. But when you're in the zone of conscious grit, you are going to be, all those things you were in unconscious grit, you're going to be determined, tenacious, resilient, persistent, but you're going to start to use a lot more courage. You're going to start to set some goals using the SMART methodology. You're going to start to do some planning. You're going to have some realisations that, being in a growth mindset is the best place for you to be if you're going to be doing well in your business and or your personal life. You'll recognize that like every other one of us, we all have limiting beliefs and these limiting beliefs have been formed in childhood. But you're, the courage that you're gaining through being in that zone of conscious grit and actually making some small and then some middle size and then some big inroads will help you um, commit to addressing those limiting beliefs, which can be a really challenging process. You'll also start to realise that you, nothing has to be perfect all, and certainly perfection is not something that you need to aim for all day, every day. It's 
perfectly fine to be imperfect. And that's something that I have only realised probably in the last few years. Um, but it's a great realisation to have, to be honest. So Dare I say a uh, tipping point that you caught there? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I yes. think the tipping point actually, and, and I can nail that, it was actually establishing my own business, to be honest, because wow. if I had waited mm. to have the perfect website, the perfect branding, the perfect client list, the perfect, you know, right. office, hey, my business yeah. would not have happened. Absolutely. I just had to go, yeah. this is good enough, yeah. off we go. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. We're all about that here at Work Wife Wine Time. Um, yeah, because if you wait for the perfect whatever, you will never get there, right? Because never. It's, yeah, and it's so interesting because, you know, speaking of like limiting beliefs and that, I think so many of us have this idea of perfect, but we don't even know what it is. So we're trying to create this perfect that we haven't even established in our head. So how can we get to something that we don't even know what it is, right? Like, Absolutely. I know. Don't we set ourselves up to work really, really mm -hmm. hard on our lives yeah. when mm -hmm. we can take a lot of pressure off ourselves by yeah. thinking about it in different ways? Absolutely. I love it. And yeah, I, I guess how else can you give us any tips then on how, how do we get unstuck in our businesses? If we, if we feel we're stuck, how can we try and get out? Yes, so there's a number of things that you can do. And I one of the things is to realise that you can't drive a parked car. So have a good look at yourself. If you are a parked car, you've got to figure out a way to get that handbrake off. And uh, so, you know, there's a little... Uh, exercise that you know that I do with my clients which is around you know just taking a few minutes to think about where you're stuck think of the outcome that you want to get to if you were unstuck what would that look like and then visualize that outcome actually happening and then see yourself in that image you know what are you wearing what's your hair doing that day how's the weather that day you know put yourself into that place where you're actually getting unstuck what can you hear around you what can you feel what can you touch make that image bigger and brighter and make the sounds clearer and then think about what's that thing that is front of mind right now How's it going to change your life if you can actually change that thing? And that is often the thing that you need to focus on to get unstuck. So it's a great place to, to start. But, of course, if you are, you know, still in that mindset where, you know, you are acting like a parked car, you do need to do some, some more work on that. So really thinking about, um, where you are across, let's say, seven steps. Um, and the first step, if you can imagine going up some stairs and, you know, where are you going to stop? Uh, are you thinking, I can't get unstuck? Go to the next step. I hope I can get unstuck. The next one, I will try to get unstuck. 
Step four, I want to get unstuck. Step five, I'll do the best I can to get unstuck. Step six, I'm doing the best I can to get unstuck. And step seven, I'm doing whatever it takes to get unstuck. And that's a really good place to start as well, because if you are on the bottom step of I can't get unstuck, then you need someone who can work with you to help you get past that first step. Um, and so same as if you're on step two, I hope I can get unstuck. You're going to need potentially someone who can help you move off that step. But there are some lots of little exercises that I've got uh, in the book uh, that people are using to help them look at things differently. And, you know, just as an example, I know a, a woman who has a small business, it's in the service industry, and she had been thinking for a long time, you know, I want to put up my prices. I know that, you know, my profit margin is going down and she was frightened to do so. And her fear was that her clients, even though she has many, many clients who have been with her for a long period of time, would actually go elsewhere. She read my book. She did my exercises. She put her prices up. She did not lose one client. Ah. So, you know, she had to work through, but she did have to work through that mindset of where was her level of stuckness? I know that's not really a word. That's where okay. was that level? And <laughs> where did she want to get to? That's okay. We love imaginary words here. Oh, Don't good, worry about that. Good. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Like the more words we can make up, the better. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> You're talking to yeah. a crazy word nerd here, so it's totally fine. Oh, that's perfect then. Oh, good, good. <laughs> you know, there are lots of things that, um, as I said, lots of activities that you can do to help you understand where your mindset is. Yeah. Um, even, even down to, you know, getting a, a buddy that can be your limiting belief accountability partner. You know, you might be a person who just says, you know, let's say like that small business owner, oh, no, I couldn't do that. My clients will leave me. Oh, no, my prices, no, I couldn't. I just couldn't do it. You know, I'm not good enough to charge more. That was one of the things that she was saying. Now, her clients have been incredibly loyal to her for a long period of time. So clearly she was providing a service that they were um, really appreciating. The, the point is that a limiting belief accountability partner can actually pull her up and say, actually, no, that's the third time you said that in this conversation, no more. Help, helping them to reframe their self-talk. Wow, Very powerful. That. Yeah, mm. I absolutely love that. A limiting belief accountability partner. Yeah. Oh, it would be so helpful, right? Because it, it's yeah. true. You Sometimes you, well, one, of course, you don't always pay attention to what's going on in your head, but sometimes you don't even realise you're saying these things out loud, right? No, that's yeah. exactly right. Exactly. And, you know, even with, with me, I um, there was a, a wonderful woman who came and spoke to me after I had spoken at a networking event. And this is honestly only in the last six months. And she said, what you said was brilliant and God, I can relate to it, but I am going to tell you one thing. 
I heard you say that you're, you have established a little business. You are diminishing your business as soon as you say that. Stop it. Do not do it again. And, I mean, I haven't forgotten that. I mean, that was a really powerful um, statement for her to have made to me in that context. And I know every time I'm introducing myself now, I go, my self-talk is eliminate little, eliminate little. <laughs> mm, that's wonderful. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, because you, yeah, you didn't even realise, right? And no, it, I did do. not know. It was, didn't yeah. know it was coming out of my mouth. Didn't yeah. even know I thought that because I don't feel like I have a little business. <laughs> right. Oh, I love that. So wonderful. And finally, before we, I guess we're coming close to finishing up, goodness me, um, mm. speaking of businesses, can you tell us about, because of course we're all about our collaboration over competition here. Um, so what does it mean uh, to you and how have you used it in your business? So I, I think that collaboration is just so so important and if we go back to you know some of what I've told you about why I left my previous role it was because of a frustration around lack of collaboration and uh, you know there's potentially a whole other podcast around you know silo-like behavior that occurs in workplaces and I so collaboration is very, very dear to me. And one of the one of the models that I am particularly keen on is a model of right brain leadership that is called the I4 Neuroleader model. And there are four pillars within that model and then a number of elements. And one of the pillars is a pillar of collaboration. This model is designed to help us operate in the 21st century with this really volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous world that we live in. We need right brain capabilities in order to be able to problem solve. Problem solving, in my view, is best done when you collaborate with others because Everybody brings something special to the table. So collaboration, you know, you've kind of hit a, a nerve with me, I suppose, in a positive way, because I do think it's it's one of the really, really powerful competencies that we need in the workplace, um, whether we are sole operators or whether we are managing a group of people in a workplace, we either need to be fostering collaboration with people outside of our business and or fostering collaboration between employees within our business. Amazing. And before we finish up, tell us, of course, where can our listeners find you if they want to find you? Yes. So please look me up and I am at all the W's everywhensolutions.com.au. Now, there's a contact form there, so forward slash contact, forward slash. If you were to send me a little message um, using that contact form, I've got some fabulous little 
A4 posters that I've developed that explain the conscious grip model. They're all in pretty pinks and greens, and I'd be more than happy to send one out to anybody who would like to. Um, to have one. I've also, of course, got my book, Conscious Grip from Stuck to Unstoppable, that is available on Amazon and other online booksellers and on my online shop. And if you just wanted to email me, I would also love to hear from you uh, if you don't want to use that contact form. So just gail at everywhensolutions.com.au. Beautiful. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. And just before we finish, what is your final thought of the day, of the hour, of the minute? <laughs> okay. Well, I think there are just five messages, very simple, that I want to leave with the listeners and with you, Gemma. Firstly, you can't drive a parked car. Secondly, you need to look for and catch a tipping point. Thirdly, you need to keep building that toolbox of tools that will help you stay in the zone of conscious grit and just think like a bee, aim for the sweet spot. No, you're not always going to be there, but as long as you're in your zone, you're doing okay. Don't let fear of imperfection keep you stuck. And if you're not good at collaboration, you can absolutely learn how and I can help you. Oh, that's wonderful. They're the, they're, they're the most clear, succinct, final uh, thought and key takeaways we've ever had here. So thank you so much. They were wonderful. Fantastic. Great. Oh, goodness. Well, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Goodness me. Thank you so much for being here. You are so welcome, Gemma. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's uh, great to find another channel to spread the word about conscious grit. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. So thank you so much. And that is a wrap, as always, all of our amazing kick-ass women, our incredible work-wife wine time audience. Remember, you're not alone because collaboration is power and we're all in it together. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you enjoyed it, hit subscribe. If you'd like to learn more, then check out our website, www.workwifewinetime.com.au. While you're there, jump on our mailing list to receive special updates and offers from our guests. Until next time, take care and drink responsibly.